Okay, as you can see, today I'm at Cheltenham Racecourse uh, on a non-race day with Neil Phillips. Thanks very much for agreeing to talk to us, Neil, also known as the Wine Tipster. Great to be here, Simon. What a great location, and it's great to be interviewed by you, actually. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You've, uh, no, you've played a blinder getting this. Right, you've, you've managed to manoeuvre quite an enviable <laughs> career path, which professionally combines horse racing and drinking wine. How have you managed that? Uh, by, very, by a lot of luck, I think, really. I've had a couple of pieces of, you know, we all need a bit of luck in these, these journeys, and I've had some luck, really, in terms of a few individuals just really helping me to get, first of all, get a gig after 20, you know, I've had, been in the drinks industry since 1986, uh, but actually getting me a gig here at Cheltenham, really. So I've got to thank, and I'm going to thank them, Joanna, Will, Joanna Winnell at Cheltenham, Phil Roberts, who's head up the catering here, and Nick Campbell, who's the managing director of Jockey Club Catering, because those three gave me my first gig, and it's blossomed from there and allows me to sort of combine not only my wine and horse racing passions, but my passion for food as well, because I'm a big foodie too. Okay. So it's great. Well, we'll talk all about that a bit later on, but what I need to know is, I'm assuming, your love of racing became, became, um, came first before your love of fine race? <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> yes, it's the answer to that question. I grew up in Stroud in Gloucestershire, so, you know, not that far from Cheltenham, obviously. And I'd, I'd, I don't know what it must have been, the fact there were some horses in the field behind my parents' house. Somehow I made that connection with horses, television, and the I'm mad about voices, mad about voices. I'm very interested in people's accents. And, uh, and I heard the voice of Sir Peter O'Sullivan commentating on some racing, and somehow that connection with seeing the horses, hearing his voice. And at about five, six years old, I decided I wanted to be a racing commentator, I think. So I just started commentating. And my parents sort of used to walk into the lounge and I'd immediately stop commentating then. But it was, that was my first love. So that's when I really started getting into hearing that, what a great voice Sir Peter had, as we all know. And getting into that, and then with the attraction to horses as well. And I've always loved horses and that passion has always remained there. So I certainly arrived in terms of commentating a long time ahead of drinking some fine red wine, basically. <laughs> well, I mean, anybody listening to that, you've got a very audible voice. I mean, why what happened to the commentating career? Because surely you've got, you've got the voice for it. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. So I just, I really admire commentators. I mean, you're looking at all the research and, and, and especially you look at the range of horses' names. And sometimes you've got some horses' names that are quite similar, aren't they? Think about commentating on a finish like that. But I, I, I just thought, Wow, that's just a. I just really admire all commentators and I, I love voices, I said. But I realised that I sort of went off in a direction of really starting to watch racing more and more on television as a young kid, really. And I used to try and work out on television the best looking horse, the best turned out horse for me was the horse that I think was going to win the race. So I took very much more of that, that journey and then really fine red wine came in for a while really and took me off on that course while I always kept my interest in racing but I suppose in terms of commentating it, it it would have been great to have done some of that because I think I have so much admiration for commentators and I'm very as I, as I said I'm very interested in people's voices and that and hearing all the different range of commentators is, is fantastic. Did you actually did you sort of pursue it at all? No, not really, actually. I think what happened was I, all I did at home was I, I saw, you know, listened to Sir Peter O'Sullivan. And then what I started to do was, was buy more toy horses. So I could, because I, I, the Grand National was the first race that really engaged me. 
And so I used to, I had about 40 toy horses, so I could commentate on the Grand National at home. And I really loved doing all that. And I was, I loved copying Sir Peter O'Sullivan, that, you know, that, especially in that final furlong, for example, or they've jumped the last. And his wonderful commentary on Red Rum winning his third Grand National was, was absolutely brilliant. brilliant. That would be one of my desert island discs, really. I think it's such a great piece. So I did all of that, and I was doing that through to when I was 11, 12, really. So, and, and as I said earlier, my parents would just walk in the room, and I was so embarrassed, I'd stop straight away. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the great. So I just, that's what I did, and I did it so much. Now, your, your first actual sort of proper job was in the wine game, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thanks to you know, my parents, and my dad, bless him, uh, really love wine he bought wines so we started to taste wines i got the interest in that and then i i went to do a degree actually in urban studies at sheffield and uh, about economics and law because i was law a level i was going to do law and i graduated and i was going to work for a record company in actual fact I had a couple of interviews for a couple of record companies because i love music as well and more of that later but we my dad took me to a wine tasting uh, my mum and dad took me to a wine tasting and there were eight Chardonnays from around the world, Sam. Do you like Chardonnay, by the way? I'm more of a red person. You're more of a red person. <laughs> you can tell this is live. <laughs> Brilliant. So, but we, there are eight different Chardonnays. The bottles were all covered up. And this wonderful man called Mark Savage uh, from the, came to the Stroud Wine Society, Master of Wine. And we had to try and guess where the Chardonnays were from. And I managed to get zero out of eight. So that was a great start. But I remember thinking my favourite Chardonnay was from California, but actually came from Burgundy. So I then did a wine course at the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. Fantastic business, fantastic educator, our most important global educator. And I, you know, the days you wrote a letter, I got a job managing a, a wine shop. And that's how it started. That was 1986. So I just got involved in that way and I've remained, you know, kept involved with wine and spirits and drinks since then, really. Mm. So, free, so fast forwarding quite a lot into 2009, with the support of your wife, you've been a freelancer in the sort of racing game as well. Yeah, so I worked for a number of wine companies over the years, did, the, did all of that, worked for a number of companies there. And I worked for a company called Penarico, second biggest wines and spirits company in the world. And I did a lot of, started to do a lot of presenting for them, in actual fact. So they, I would do radio interviews, I'd do some filming. They had some big brands like Jacobs Creek, Campo Viejo. I started doing all of that. And then I was getting asked by other people, could you come and present for us as well? And my, my lucky break really, Simon, was the fact that Perno wanted me to stay on and do some work for them. So I, had, I ended up going freelance, but doing three days a week for them. Perfect platform for when you go freelance. Mm -hmm. And my wife, Louise's background is in PR. Um, and Louise has set up her wine side of the business in terms of doing PR the year before. So we had a nice safe platform. It wasn't a sudden breakout there and it was all very structured. Yes, in 2009 I did that, but it was great having that experience with Pernod Ricard. And then I started, I wanted to bring together, and Louise came up with the, the wine tipster trademark, which was a great idea of Louise's. And I wanted to try and bring together the food, drink and racing. So I started to approach race courses about this. And that was an interesting journey, obviously to saying, you know, I'm going to be, as we are here in the panoramic restaurant, coming to a table, I'm going to talk about the food, I'm going to talk about the drink, I'm going to do some racing tips as well, because I'd kept, in, kept my interest in racing over that time. And that's when I got a lucky break at that point, really. It took me about two years to get my first real racing gig. Yeah, you talked about tips there, because um, for the last, what's this now, last four years, you've written a column for Unibet, tipping. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just... I've always followed, you know, ever since a kid, you know, I'd, I'd followed racing, 
I've been to race meetings, I've been to syndicates, so I'd always been going to meetings, been a member at Sandown. And I met Will Pettit actually from Unibet and we started talking and he then introduced me to Ed Nicholson and obviously Ed knows all the team as well and, and, and you know and great guys and they said well let's start off with let's start with a column going on a, on a Wednesday so we started on that with some Wednesday races and that's how that's how we started and then we moved to the bigger races the Saturdays mainly almost all the big festivals as well so, so I was delighted to get that and it's great to be involved with the Unibet team and I think I like the discipline discipline of actually writing a column and tipping I mm. like the discipline it, discipline it actually brings really so you you described yourself to me before we did this as a form student so you were sort of confident you could do a, a good tipping a column or did you have to then immerse yourself in it when it when it the, the idea was muted to no I, d I was already doing that i was already doing that really i've done that for years i remember sitting on a plane looking at the racing post weekender trying to work out the winner of the whitbread gold cup and i got it right at 14 to 1. and because i was and i've always been fascinated by numbers and mass so i'd always been looking at races like that and looking at forming that way way and looking at every horse really so I'd already had that there, and I've always, always been a big racing replay for person as well. You know, I've always put a lot of value on re-watching races and, and making that interpretation as well, really. Mm. So yep. that's the way I approach things. And you have to, by nature of your column, you have to tip up the hardest races <laughs> in the calendar. <laughs> yeah. So, I, it, you know, does that sort of mean that there's not that much expectation or, you know, is, oh. is it... <laughs> You know, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky old game, isn't it? It is a tricky game, Simon. <laughs> I, I, would, I, I think also, I actually like the fact you have to do that. It's the big TV races. I love trying to work out handicaps, both jumps and flat. Uh, and I think, for me, that you should have that challenge. I, I like that. And getting it right gives you so much satisfaction. I also think one of the things as well for me is taking the right approach not only in terms of the form side of it but also yourself feeling good you know feeling healthy you know feeling like you can take the right space to do this i love all the peace and quiet of when you're writing the column you're doing all the background work i don't like any noise whatsoever so i need to get into a space like that and i think that's really important i know it sounds a bit sort of a bit contrived but i don't think it is i think that's all really important to have that all that structure in place as well for me in, in approaching a column but I have to say I love the going for the big races but you've got that responsibility and the responsibility as well is that if there's a lot of, I assume there's quite a few people read it yes so if they do their cobblers if you lose and if you win too much your paymasters do their cobblers <laughs> so you know it's, where do your loyalties lie <laughs> yeah but you've got to <laughs> Simon to the punter but I mean <laughs> But you, you've got, you know, we're tracking everything, obviously, in terms of who's clicking into the links, et cetera, on the Unibet blog. So, but it's important to attract more people. So it's up to me to get that right uh, and to continue to get that right. And, and, you know, you have your good Saturdays, you have not so good Saturdays, but you definitely have phases when you're really in good form. We all know that. And, but that's, that's the important piece. So that's your responsibility. And you've got to feel like you've made a judgment. And I always think it's a bit like, if I came to you and said, I fancy this horse for this particular race, it's like put, putting a business case, really, for me. You've got to have your valid points with a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit, though. 
I think you've got to have that little bit in there if you're looking at a race to think, okay, I've found that other angle, other little bit of an angle there. Yeah. That's what I like to do. And one of your angles you told me is the pre-parade ring when you actually go racing yourself. So if you ever, you ever tip one up in, the, in your Unibet column and then gone to the pre-parade ring on the day of the race and thought, bugger. I have, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because I remember walking to the pre oh, By the way, what a great space of t time it is really with the pre-parade ring in terms of you've got that chance to look at the horses properly. And I do remember turning up to see a horse looking very, the coat was very dull and I just thought, and there was a horse looking apps, the other horse I really considered looking absolutely fantastic. And I felt we've lost here and we did. And, and we, yeah, you know, that's, that's the thing really. And that's why it's really important to go there. And what sort, of, um, what sort of races would you concentrate on in your own? I mean, is betting important to you in your normal life? Would you bet every day as a punter or? I don't bet every day. I probably bet about three or four times a week. So I probably, if, you found, if somebody calls me on a Monday and said, what, I, I'm not really tracking that, especially if you've done the weekends, you've been presenting as well. Mm. You kind of need a bit of space. And so I'm much more picking out horses that I think maybe they might have been entered in a couple of races. Are they going to win and then move on to the next ra another race very quickly? I'm always looking at, I'm always interested in the 48-hour decks as well, just in terms of some of those each-way opportunities now for me. So I look at that very closely as well. I also bring that in, you know, when you're doing a column as well. Let's say you're looking on Thursday, obviously, for Saturday. You're writing that column on Thursday, sleeping on it. Just know another look in the morning on the Friday, get it off to the guys. But... I'm always looking at that sort of that sort of situation and, and keeping close to those sort of races and certain horses I'm f tracking, obviously, just to see, because sometimes you see a horse coming up at 28 to one somewhere. I saw that and I thought the ground's just right for this horse. The ground's got worse. He loves testing ground. And this was a great opportunity. I couldn't believe the price. So that's it's diving in for that as well, really. That's what I like to do. And I also... I'm, I'm very much an each way. I really enjoy each way. I like anti-post as well. I'm very interested in anti-post for the big festivals. That's something I'm very attracted to. But yeah, that's my sort of policy really. Three or four days a week, I have a punt. Okay, Neil, we'll go, we'll go to, uh, to what, you know, you, the, you said the lucky gig or the well-earned yes. gig or, yeah. you know, whatever that you've got now for the Jockey Club racecourses. Um, an ambassador to hospitality at the most prestigious meetings, including Cheltenham, Ascot, Goodwood and York and Newmarket, I think. Yes, absolutely. So tell us about what that entails. I mean, you know, people might have seen you on the, on the, on the telly at Goodwood yes. and stuff, trying all these lovely foods <laughs> yes, and, you know, when it's a grand ahead <laughs> and you're digging in. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty good one, isn't it? It's a good gig. I'm very happy, Simon. And I don't, I look, I mean, it's something, I'm a lucky guy, you know. You're doing, you're covering all your passions. You're doing a job covering all your passion, but you're working with wonderful people, and let's not forget that. And I think I just, I'll just take us back briefly because I've been trying to, once I went freelance, Louisa come up with the, the wine tips of trademark, and, and trying to approach courses and talk about how I could see how, how I could add something to the race day experience. And you know, and people have to say, you know, how, how can they, how can you? qualify that really and, and really I had a there's a lady called Joanna, Joanna Winnell who works at Cheltenham Racecourse she saw, saw me do a gig at the Cheltenham Food and Drink Festival and said our head of catering's leaving he's had 30 years we'd like to share a few wines on the evening could you come and do a gig for us so I came actually into the panoramic restaurant here for my first jockey club jockey club catering gig really 
and there was a new guy coming as general manager there for catering, Phil Roberts, and he said, could you do a wine tasting for the box holders? And it grew from that, and Nick Campbell, the managing director of Jockey Club, Jockey Club Catering, then said, look, you know, let's get you around to the other courses as well. So it went from there, really, and for me presenting in the restaurants. So coming, so guests arrive, important to have all that greeting, talk about the food and wines, mark the card on that. Maybe just come, and some people come to a race meeting, they know what they want to drink. But others are very interested in going, what is something else you've got that's a bit different? I want to try something else that I haven't tried. And that's with the wine list. It's important to reflect that and always having some new and different wines coming in. So we did all that. And then that's just grown. And with the racing tipping element as well, to give a bit of fun and to make sure people have some banter and fun, really. Mm. And that all started like that. So I started off doing the big meetings at Cheltenham and then that branched out to the other jockey club courses with all the big meetings, as well as going to, let's say, a big race day, let's say going up to Carlisle, jockey club courses we know, brilliant course, I love Carlisle, you know, doing Cumberland Plate Day, things like that, and going to Warwick. So I think it's really, I love that combination of working with the smaller and bigger courses as well. And then that branched out into Ascot, and also where courses are doing food, food festivals as well. If they've got a if they've got a food theatre, then I'll MC that, do some racing and do talk to some chefs there, do some demos. I'll probably eat some food. And as I say on my pieces, I'm going in, I'm tasting, folks, I'm tasting. And that's how it's, it's, it's branched out, really, Simon. So I had a lucky break there, and I've mm. always got to be very grateful for that. And it's, it's grown from there, really, and people have been very nice about it. And it's a lovely community. Right, so you've got Cheltenham. And you've got uh, Glorious Goodwood. Yes. So is there a marked difference between the grub offered at the top <laughs> at the top restaurants for Cheltenham and at, you know, sort of Glorious Goodwood? Is it, is it more hearty and wholesome for the, for the national hunt and uh, a little bit? Th yeah, does it that, that's a really good point. And you have to reflect that with different dishes because people expect with the different seasons to see different colours on a dish. They expect to see that, and dishes need to reflect the seasons. So you will have those dish, different dishes there. And I think that's, in, that's important. And it, you know, when you're doing the big meetings, you will have a tasting session. And one of the things you're looking at is not only the combination of flavors, presentation, but is that really the right kind of dish for that time of year? So you will see those differences. And I think one of the things as well is, I don't, is to, everyone needs to understand the preparation that's going on behind the scenes here. You've got a big festival. You might serve you know, thousands and thousands of afternoon teas across the race courses and the race course in different restaurants, and the number of staff involved in that, the number of chefs as well. So I think those are all really interesting elements of this. So when you go and work with Goodwood, you're going to obviously for a different time of year, as you pointed out, you, you will taste some different dishes. And again, these days as well, you need to reflect as well. People want vegetarian, vegan, that's growing all the time. We've got to give the right choices there as well. That's mm. really important too. And again, flavours, you know, dishes come into fashion as well. Things go out of fashion. So you've always got to keep moving on this, which I, I really like. I find very exciting. Now, the, um, that's all good. People are coming, spending a lot of money yes. at race courses to find dining and yes. find wines, but it's horse racing. So, do you feel that those people are interested enough or in get or made engaged into the horse racing? You know, at, at, somebody's paying, I don't know, you know, upwards of a thousand pounds. Are those are those people interested in the racing? 
Yes, they are. And I think different levels, obviously. And I think one of my jobs as well is I will get on the microphone in the restaurants and mark the card. But we all know it's like wine for me. We mustn't make it complicated and seem distant. It's about making it down to earth. So it's always important to say, pick out three things on a race card. It might be the number of days since the horse last ran, because that's a question I often get a lot about. Why is that? What's that number in brackets? But so to engage people, to get them to come back racing again. And that's something you start to see people coming back as well. We have a lot of regulars, obviously, but you see new people coming back. And the other thing that people will do as well is actually say to you, can you recommend another race course? They want to go to Newmarket, let's say. So you'll actually see all of that as well. So people are here to do that. And I think we also have, when I present at Newmarket in the Champions Gallery restaurant, I will, after each race, important race, I will go down with the press to hear what the winning trainer or jockey's got to say. There might be an anti-post price to talk about for a future race, like the 2000 guineas. I think that's really important to get people involved in that way as well. Mm. So the as to why they might want to come back as well. You know, seeing the, seeing moving from the two-year-olds to the three-year-olds, for example, yeah, okay, following so that port, path, so really. The, by the nature of the sort of customers that, that they sort of frequent the places that you talk at, you're mixing with the, the you know, the, the cream of society, but you've worked with the cream of the industry as well. You can do a bit of name dropping here. Well, <laughs> I'm never shy. The food industry, I mean, yeah, not yeah, the no, no, I'm never shy of name dropping. I do too much of it sometimes. But, and actually about just one thing I want to say something, just before I answer that, is to remember that hospitality starts is for everybody. And let's just remember that. It's families, it's somebody walking through the gate and actually just saying, I'm going to get a coffee. That experience should be a good coffee. And I think I just, you know, it's great to have all these experiences, people coming to the top restaurants, but also everybody out on course now, they want to buy a good sandwich or they want, they're getting more choice now and they're getting more regional choices, local produce, which is really great. And I think that's, that's really important. Yes, I've worked, and to name drop now, work with Raymond Blanc. Fantastic, I love chefs, I love working with chefs. Always have done, I've done a lot of work with chefs over the years. What a great character Raymond is and what, what great work he's done for the hospitality industry. And he's still so passionate. And the, the Rue is because there's a Shea experience at the Cheltenham Festival, at Newmarket for the Guineas and down, down at the Derby as well. And having worked with Albert, bless him, who passed away recently, you know, Albert was a great character and he was a great racing fan as well as a great chef. And he and Willie Mullins get on, get on, used to get on famously. And it's a real honour to have worked with them. What was an honour as well is we had a time when we had three generations of Rue in the kitchen. Amazing to think you've got Albert Rue, Michel Rue Jr. and Emily Rue. Um, but the, the Rue legacy continues. I, I just think it's so exciting. But also it's, it's, it's a way as well, just quickly, just to say, you know, we need to get young people coming thinking, I want to be a chef. I love that. I can be creative. And young people coming into work in hospitality is so important as well. And well, you've talked to the, um, you talked about the, some of the cream of the Cajun industry. You've been on the Nick Luck Daily. Mm. You've been on uh, Racing TV, Talk Sport, local radio. So you get yourself about, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that. But in actual fact, what happened was, I mean, I really just went to ITV and approached them and, and Channel 4 previously and said, look, it'd be great to do a hospitality piece and just trying to find an angle, not about yourself, but actually just saying, look, there's an angle why we can talk about some hospitality here. It might be a dish, it might be, you know, when what, a general hospitality piece that they've engaged with and thought, that sounds great, we could do that. It might be, you know, one time we did English Wine Week because it was the same week as the Derby. 
and all of those things as well. So I approached everybody, I approached Racing TV, so that's why, and they started saying, well, let's try Cheltenham, let's do a daily hospitality piece. Keep, you know, and I just always try to make it so there's a good combination, yes, fine dining, but we're out and about at a bar, maybe doing a cocktail, something like that, and we're, we're tasting a local pie. I love pies, by the way. <laughs> just, there's a whole piece to do on that. But to get all of those pieces, and that, that's, that's grown and grown, and it's a great way for us to talk about our experiences and say, and get people to come racing in, in all sorts of levels, really. So that, that's been very successful. I'm very grateful for everybody who's let me come on their shows and, and talk about hospitality and taste, of course, which is why everybody keeps thinking I'm tasting all the time. But I do, I have to say, you do end up going. But at all levels, you know, great pies, great drinks. But you, you really enjoy the experience at all sorts of levels. You know, you've got someone like York, where I think they do, they've got brilliant pies and scotch eggs there. <laughs> Don't talk about scotch eggs, you get... <laughs> um, no, you're talking about getting people involved. Some of your also involved it in that gets people involved back to the racing uh, syndicates yes a shared ownership yes absolutely um i'm involved with my racing manager so ellie morgan started my racing manager and her dad david has some really good horses like arctic sharon artical for example and i met ellie and her dad through hospitality so we just started talking about my involvement there with with the My Racing Manager Syndicate. So I'm involved in selling the shares there. I go to the key race days as well. And we are very much about having four or five owners per horse. We have some single ownership as well, but it's quite interesting. Some of the people that buy horses for themselves only also want to have a leg in another horse because they like the camaraderie. Now tell us about, I mean, what is My Racing Manager? What does it, what do you do? So what we do is, so Ellie set out to say, look, what I'm going, Ellie will manage everything in terms of the administration, has all the contact with the trainers. She does her own breed. She's got, she, she's breeding horses, she's breeding horses as well. So she understands a horse really well, which is also great for talking to trainers, but also to vets as well. So she started off by saying, look, I'm going to have a model here of four or five shares per horse. And she went to some local trainers like Philip Hobbs, for example, working with Philip, also working uh, with Dan Skelton, Venetia Williams very well, mostly jumpers, but we also work with James Fanshawe. And really saying, look, we're going to have that number of shares per horse. We are, you need to be in for the long journey. You need to be patient. We're not a model of, if you want a horse to run every three weeks, it's not gonna happen. So that's what Ellie's set up. Been tremendously successful. Two Cheltenham Festival winners, Coustar Civila, which wasn't that much a surprise, obviously, because you had to fancy Coustar Civila on that day. But also Flying Tiger, ridden by Dickie Johnson, a 33 to one, which was a surprise. But when you've got two Cheltenham Festival winners, that just sort of shows you the ability that Ellie has to work with trainers and actually buying horses as well. So. That's been the model, really. And I think a lot of people who come into it, it might be a lifestyle piece. They might just come in, this is the right time in my life. I want to do this. I want to spend more time doing this. And also, sometimes people want to do it just for their families as well, Simon. They're just, you know, the whole family gets a kick out of this and in another WhatsApp group as well. So it's been tremendously successful. There are about 15 horses now. And one thing just to say is that every horse we have will be retired and will be given a very nice home as well. We, Racing welfare is right up there for us. It's right at the top there. So the horse's welfare is paramount. That's the first point, you know. But it's been great. It's great to be involved. It's very, very exciting. We're, we're going to all sorts of different courses and we'll continue to get new owners coming in to join us as well. And are the, are the various entry levels? I mean, is it all, 
you know, is, are there sort of little scales of how much things cost? There are scales, but generally we are, you know, if you're coming in, you need to be saying, look, I'm going to maybe spend £15,000 to have a, a quarter share or a fifth share, for example. So you need to, and you've got to be clear to people, haven't you? you know, you're not necessarily going to win anything, but also, so from the, the point of actually, especially somebody new coming to racing, and just say, look, this is how much potential it's going to cost you. And so you're very, we're always really clear about everything like that. And I think the other important thing around that as well, which Ellie is really great at doing as well, is the communication's great and ongoing. Because sometimes you do hear people say, I'm not getting enough communication here. And I think that is, that's a really important part of this as well. And just so on race days, people feel and get involved and understand more about racing as well. So that's great. Okay, Neil, so we'll, we'll carry on talking about horses there. You, you tell me that you had some sort of connection with Dino's Beano. What was, uh, what was that connection? Well, what happens when I first got involved with racing syndicates, I was a member of elite racing, you know, thousands and thousands of members, aren't there? And that was a great way to get in. And then when they had Axum, and it was five horses, about 300 of us, including Dino's Beano, bless him. And so it was great to stand in the parade ring at Cheltenham years ago with Dino's and and follow his, his career, which was brilliant, obviously with those, that long walk win, for example. And then he retired to Great Woods, um, as you know, retraining racehorses. They do a lot of fantastic work with children as well, with learning difficulties, and that whole how children get on so well with horses. And I think Great Woods done a brilliant job. And I approached Great Wood and actually said, look, I can MC your race day at Newbury. I'll come and do that. So I started to get involved that way, promoting Great Woods, because I feel so, you know, so strongly about retraining of racehorses. Dino's was down there as the star horse. Wonderful, what a great character. He was a great character in retirement as well. <laughs> he sort of, uh, he, had his, he had his days where he was happier than others, or, or other days when he'd just say, well, I'm only, a, I'm only allowing one other horse to come out in the field with me. <laughs> That's it, really. But I sensed that, you know, he was, he was 27, and I thought, I need to go and see him uh, again, because I've seen him lots of times over the years, obviously at racings, but when he retired. And I went down to Great Woods, in the January and uh, he died about two months later but I wanted to see him because and I remember I went down to Marlborough where Great was based and and I, I he came out and I think I got hold of him I think he was going to pull me down to the center of Marlborough about three miles away but it was he was a great great character and, it, and it's a great what AP McCoy thought about Dino Spino wasn't it and, and I really I was really pleased I went to see him because I think he's did so much of racing and it's for me, that just shows the importance of looking after horses when they've retired. And great characters like him are bringing people to Greatwood as well, which is brilliant. Yeah, and you're, um, as if you aren't already doing enough, you're also ambassador for Racing Welfare. Yes, and I, I, what a great job Racing Welfare are doing. I mean, Dawn Goodfellow, I've got a lot of respect for Dawn. She's running a fantastic team there. And I noticed that you've got various ambassadors there talking of representing different aspects of racing. And during the, the whole and the ongoing COVID situation, I, you know, hospitality was hit very hard, like many other industries. And it's been a real struggle for people because they've had to think about new careers. And people have had to go off and get different jobs in some cases. And some of them struggle because they were still wanting to stay in hospitality. And it was very difficult. And I went to Dawn and said, look, I, really, I would really like to be the voice of the hospitality industry because we're an important, you know, it's an important function. Away from race days, you've got conferencing and events. 
it's an important revenue stream. Hospitality is very important. I don't think people sometimes realise the scale of numbers involved and all the background involved here. So I went to Dawn about that. So I'm a representing that part of racing welfare. And I'm keen in future times to get more chefs involved as well, that we can do more things to raise money for racing welfare. So I end up doing lots of the videos. I present on some of the, uh, some of the, uh, some of the racing events as well. We did a, a virtual tasting as well, wine tasting. So we raised some money that way. So, but it was great fun doing that. Mixed in with a bit of a Cheltenham Festival preview as well, which is also a good laugh. And I, I think Racing Welfare, they've shown so much, they've done so much with all these great initiatives. And, and they are, it's a big shout, isn't it? It's bringing everybody together, which is really important as well. Yeah, and if people were envious enough of what you do, <laughs> you're also a drinks ambassador, an ambassador for Prosecco, and you own a, a wine PR company. Yeah, we, we, so our wine PR company, it's Louise, my wife, and I, really, and a couple of other people that work for us. But Louise does a great job, and getting coverage for the producers that she works with and has worked with for a long time since she set up the company in 2008. So we're sort of two arms of that, of PR and also with my presenting side as well. So it's really interesting and we've got some great clients who we've worked with for a long time actually. And, yeah, and yes, and, and sort of presenting wise, so I'm the UK, amb it sounds very, <laughs> love this job title as well. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm the UK ambassador for the Prosecco Dot Consortium. So that's a designate area where we can produce our Prosecco dot wines. So I've been a UK ambassador for a, a quite some time now. So I present around the country. I present at food and drink festivals. I work with chefs as well. And like Daniela Cortellini, so we do a lot of work together there at events and work, present at Taste of London. So, and I travel around the company, country talking about Prosecco and promoting Prosecco overall as, as, as the UK ambassador of the consortium. So we have a number of producers that are members and involved. We show their different wines. And it's really, and we also want to get people when they can feel comfortable traveling out to Prosecco land, actually, Simon. So there you go. Bubbles, very popular. And it's been a great story, you know? Yeah, really talking great. of stories, yeah. leads me nicely on to your love of racing books. I see you've got some uh, props there. Uh, just give us a, a tell us well, about I just, some of these. Well, I've always been, you know, we, we don't have it in a hardback, but I've got loads of copies of Timeform because it's something that's always been really, I, I loved it when they did that. And I used it again about research as well for me, a great aid memoir for me, the time for me I was there. But also I have to say, I couldn't find this book, but Steve Smith, Steve Smith Eccles, when he did his book about a diary of a jump jockey for a season, that's one of my favorite reads. Actually. Turf account. T yes, that's it. Turf account. Thank mm. you. Great read. And I'd also like to give a shout out to Jack Berry because I thought his diaries were hilarious and brilliant. And I realized how hard, hard Jack has worked and done so much and I'd also like to shout out for a friend of mine Sean McGee what great company Sean McGee is and he knows Lester Pickett very well and he's done some great books about Lester Pickett and this is a really good book in in praise of famous horses as well so I like to I'm a big racing book fan and I reread them so I love all of that so that's very important to me as well yeah I'm sure people can um they wouldn't be at all surprised that you're a, a racing book fan. Mm. They might be surprised to learn that you're a bit of a punk rocker. <laughs> you must be the most unlikely punk rocker. I'm ever. the most unlikely punk rocker. Yeah, people always look completely surprised about this, you know. And the other thing is that people can't really work out is, did you ever have enough hair to be a punk rocker? I'm very envious of you, Simon. Uh, <laughs> but, but I grew, you know, I was a bit of a country punk, really growing up in Stroud in Gloucestershire, 
but I've been getting into music since I was 10 or 11 and I used to listen to John Peel's show you know 10 o'clock at night wherever time it was and I remember I read about punk and then I heard three short songs and I thought they were about a minute and a half long and I thought this is punk I absolutely love it so I was a bit country punk really but uh, yeah, I used to have lots of wavy hair so you know I, I, didn't, I think I think I put too much gel in really <laughs> But so what were your favourite what were your favourite bands then? Give us some punk. Well, I didn't really I mean, everybody always talks about the clash, the sex pistols, but I, I was sort of into some other bands really that there's a band called Subway Sect. <laughs> I think they did a few sing singles. I know Vic Goddard from Subway Sect actually, and he's a big racing fan. So he still comes racing. So I was really into things like Subway Sect. And there was a band actually from the States called Perubu, which did a fantastic um debut album called Non-Alignment Pact. It was a brilliant, uh, brilliant debut album there. So I loved all of that. And I loved some of the really short, energetic stuff as well. I loved also Susie and the Banshees. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. I went to see Susie and the Banshees. And then moving on a bit out of punk a little bit was coming to bands like Joy Division, for example, and The mm. Cure. Now you, so. told me, you told me that you're an active gig goer. So, I mean, I can't see you down at the front of a business gig or something like that. You know? <laughs> I mean, what, what are the what are the died in the wall, nearly pensioner punk rockers think when you roll up in your tweeds? Well, I think they think, who is this bloke? I did go and see a band. There's a there's a band actually, and they're not really. Um, they're a band that a band called Sophia and this guy called Robin Proper Shepherd. I follow him on Twitter. You know, you can have connections with musicians now, can't you? But I did go to see a gig in London a few years ago, and I really liked this band, Sophia. And I was the only person not wearing a long black coat. I think I was there in some, um, you know, and I just looked completely different. And afterwards he said, I bet you, you're the only person drinking wine at my gig. <laughs> Everybody else is drinking lager. But it's just, but I get down in the mosh pit, Simon. I do do it, you know. You've got to. So if you've got like a gig going alter ego and wear all the clobber and nobody from the race course would recognise you, or have you uh, actually seen anybody from the race course and been surprised? Yeah, they would be surprised. I mean, I did go to a gig where, I mean, I, I like my bright shirts, as you can tell. And I did go to a gig recently and I was you know I was wearing lots of bright stuff and, and one of the band I talked to one I love going to chat to the bands on especially some of the smaller bands you know they're trying to get a label well they might have done one EP and, the, and these guys said to me could you be our accountant please so I obviously <laughs> didn't look that radical so. but I love to I love to get it I love small venues especially I think it's great I love seeing bands in those sort of four or five hundred people venues really those are the sort of places I like but I keep a connection with bands as well and actually there are two or three bands like the Nightingales where Robert Lloyd is a the lead singer is a big horse racing fan for example so they love to come racing so we keep a link like that as well so we do all of that actually I think I was going to say I interviewed Graham Sharp in a record shop but you've actually brought some records with you which is a first yeah well we've got the Nightingales here with Stuart Lee the comedian so they've Stuart and um, Robert Lloyd lead singer of the United Girls worked together on King Rocker brilliant movie to go and see I, I'm in there somewhere in that movie and what, I'm the, going yeah well I'm sort of off. <laughs> <laughs> I look like I've been to a one day conference actually <laughs> in one of the trailers but they've got I brought this in because they've got 10 Bob Each Way as one of the song titles here brilliant I love it 10 Bob Each Way love that um, great guys actually great to see them and talk to them but in actual fact Vic Goddard from the Subway set last time I saw him at Sandown he was asking me about the five furlong draw bias at Sandown so there you go he knows his stuff actually okay so we talked about you, you your horse racing you were presenting the wine uh, critic uh, not critic um, promoter 
But I mean, have you, what ambitions have you got left in any of your spheres that you that you sort of into? Well, have you got any burning ambition to do something or even something extra? I'm, I'm, I'm clearly love my job, and I, I just want to. I still want to keep presenting at, at race meetings of all, all levels, really, because I love going to the races. If I'm not working, I'll just go to a meeting. I love it, big or small courses. I think it's really important to go and do that as well. By the way, to be outside, be in the pre-parade ring. Um, but certainly my racing manager, you know, Ellie and I, we want to continue to grow my, my racing manager. And we, I think the concept's great. And there's a particular, you know, people are getting, I like it when people just get to a point in their life and they think, well, actually, I want to, I want to be involved in that now. That suits my family. It's, that's satisfying. Certainly for me. And from the hospitality point of view, to continue to broadcast and present because it's great to be at the meetings. But it's also great the way in terms of food and how that's all developing and the drink side as well. And we've got to showcase different things as well that's always changed at all levels and I want to keep doing all that and for me as well it's you know the I really enjoy doing my unibet column and I love looking I'm very analytical so I just love doing all of that so bringing all those components together with my love of racehorses as well and horses anyway and I think over time I will do more work in racing welfare you know what I'm doing for them but also in terms of horses when they're retired as well that's something I'd like to give more time to as well but you know I want to just keep doing all the things I'm doing now and I haven't even you know all the other wine presenting I'm doing I love all the Prosecco work Simon so I'm a very happy guy really you know and I don't really want to change anything right now as time goes on then you will look to do I want to continue doing all the columns but you'll look to do maybe more of that charity work as well that's what I would like to do okay now as a final I'm going to be really mean so somebody says, right, Neil, you're having far too much fun, son. You've got to choose one. Oh, Horse wow. racing, wine, or punk rock. Oh, man, Which one would you have to You have to cast the other two into oblivion, and you can just got the one for the rest of your life. Which one would it be? Oh, wow. Sorry about that. Is, that's a horrible question, Simon. That's terrible. I feel like it's one of those Desert Island disc questions. <laughs> um, well, I think because of all the parts that it, to, it, I can include in this... I'd have to say horse racing because that allows me to include pretty much everything I do, apart from punk rock, actually. <laughs> but I would say, I'd say horse racing. Excellent. Well, that's a very uh, diplomatic note to end on, Neil. <laughs> uh, Neil Phillips, thank you very much. Pleasure, Simon. Great to be thank on. New betting people interviews are published every week at Star Sports. Exclusive interviews with the key people from the world of sports betting. Check out our full library of interviews at starsportsbet.co.uk. Begambleaware.org. Over 18 only.